We are recording. With recording in progress. Mr. Michael Vecchione, who has been on here innumerable times. This is his second live episode. Today is Monday, February 27th, 2023 at 2.05 p.m. Eastern time to do part four of uh, about Luigi the Zip. And um, yeah, Mr. Vecchione, for the new listeners, please introduce yourself. Thank you for having me, Tom. And my name is Michael Vecchione. And um, for those of you who don't know who I am, I was the chief of the rackets division in the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, chief of the Homicide Bureau, chief of trials. I did I did a lot. I was a prosecutor for about 30 years. And um, and and the Luigi story, the story of homicide is my business, which is the name of the book that I wrote about Luigi. Um, hey, I, I, I met him when I was a senior trial assistant way back in my first stint in the DA's office. Um, so it was a uh, it was an interesting experience, one that I had never had before dealing with a with an informant slash hitman uh, slash mobster who wanted to be a made man. It was a uh, it was quite an experience. And um, and it it stayed with me for all of these years. And we're talking about probably met him in 1979. And um, and when I wrote this book with Jerry Schmetter, my 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 good buddy, we did it in um, in 2020. And um, so a lot of years in between. Um, 40 almost my right with that yeah. about that. So, yeah. So anyway, that's uh, so we we have um, we've covered a lot of um, of Luigi's life in New York and in um, in Catania, Sicily, where he came from and his life as a hitman, but there's a whole other part of, of Luigi's um, life here in New York, in Brooklyn, actually, um, that we've never talked about. And it's kind of like the second half to me. He, uh, you know, he came to the United States because he was a, uh, he was really a successful, uh, <laughs> it's so hard to say this, a successful hitman in, 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 in Sicily, um, carrying out hits for, for the Catania Mafia, um, and um, and and he was never made, and that was really the the whole point of him coming to America. He was it was suggested to him that if he went to Brooklyn, the mob in Brooklyn, which was the Bonanno family at that time, was uh, looking for uh, for people to to protect them. They were involved with um, with a, a drug empire and a drug uh, trafficking empire with the Sicilians and. Um, and it was actually became a very, very popular motion picture called The French Connection. And um, and when that was set up, they were not going to, they meaning the Bananos, were not looking to share the profits that they were making with the other four families in New York. And, and they figured that that was going to create an issue and uh, maybe a shooting war or, or shooting incidents. And they needed people for protection. So they were importing zips. They were importing guys from Sicily who um, were like Luigi, who were not necessarily made men, but aspired to be made men. And uh, and I and I use the term zip because that's what the American mafia called these guys. They were um, they were looked down upon the Sicilians. They were, you know, looked down upon as kind of like the the little brothers of uh, of the, the American mafia. When in fact it was the other way around. I mean, obviously the mafia began in Sicily. But uh, but they were looked down upon by their American brothers here in um, thickly here in Brooklyn. And uh, and and Luigi was uh, was perfect for this role because he was a really good, as I said before, very good hitman and very loyal. I mean, that was his the basis for him wanting to become a made guy. He said that, you know, he was gr he grew up in this uh, in that 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 kind of idea that um that it's you aspire to become a, a mafia figure if you're a, a kid in Sicily. Um, and I know I've said this before on the show, but I, I, he testified at some point in front of Congress and told, told a, a senator that in America, young boys aspire to be baseball players. And in Sicily, young boys aspire to be mafia. And, uh, and that's what he did. So his frustration grew as as time went on. He was successful in what he was doing over there. And then he was sent to New York to to perhaps become a made man in Brooklyn because of, of the need for these Sicilians. And um, 
And I, and I really have to put into context what we're talking about as far as money is concerned. The Bonanno family was making millions of dollars a week in this in in importing heroin from came from the Middle East to Sicily labs in Sicily, the French connection, then to Marseille and then from Marseille to the United States. And um, and, and Luigi was was, um, was working as you know, his primary his primary job was to kill people. But he was also obviously was was um open to do things for the the american mafia for the bonanno family and for the gambino family um that didn't have anything to do with with killing people they needed uh couriers they needed a and and what used to happen and how he got involved in the drug trade is that he met a he was introduced to a guy whose name was felice puma and puma was was uh, a very trusted um, associate of the Bonanno family. He was, um, I'm not sure if, if Puma was a made man. I, he might have been, but what he was, his primary role was to, um, was to, to facilitate the, um, uh, the, the drug business for the Bonanos. And, and it's centered in an area of Brooklyn on, uh, it was actually the name of the area is Greenpoint, but it was centered on one, one street, Knickerbocker Avenue. And um, and they had various social clubs and illegal casinos and and things of that nature. And um, but the primary the primary uh, business for them at that point was drug distribution and drug sales. And they were making they were making a fortune. The reason and the reason that they were so successful and, and is because they had a guy. Joe Bonanno was the was the Don. He was the, the guy who ran the family. But they had a, an underboss whose name was Carmine Galante. And Galante was always into the drug business, always. And and as as, as some of your you know listeners or viewers are going to say, well, you know, the mafia doesn't get involved in drugs. We watch the you know, we watch the Godfather. And they said, you know, it's it's illegal to be involved with drugs. Well, it is illegal, but it was um, it was something that the mafia did on the QT. They just, you know, they did it on the download. They didn't want people to know that they were involved, but they were, they were. And you could understand why, because if they were bringing in millions of dollars a week, um, that's a lot of money to turn down and, and not sharing it was, um, was a mortal sin as far as uh, the other families are concerned. So, so guys like Luigi were, were brought in and, and one of actually one of Luigi's, roles was to was to take forged passports american passports to canada and get in because he had a legitimate passport and he worked with a with a guy named um paolo laporta who was also one of the the knickerbocker avenue guys and their job was to one of their jobs was to drive from brooklyn up to the canadian border use their legitimate passports to get into canada where they would meet Sicilians who had emigrated from Sicily into Canada. It was easier to get into Canada, obviously, than it was to get into the United States. And then when, when Luigi and Laporta got up there, they would distribute the passports. And then all of these Sicilians then would use those passports to cross the border and come into the United States and then down to down to down to, to Brooklyn. And to and and that was the and that was a very successful business because Believe me, the bananas didn't do that for nothing. Those guys had to pay for those passports, yeah. you know. So, um, so, so, part of of that part of his job was to ensure that things continued to be calm and uh, in terms of the drug business uh, on Knickerbocker Avenue, and um, and he was he was a good he was good for that because he didn't take he didn't take shit from anybody. He was you know he was a very loyal guy. Um, honor was his big, his big thing. I mean, one of the subtitles is of the book was, you know, Luigi to zip a hitman's quest for honor. Mm -hmm. He felt that he wasn't, he wasn't honored in Sicily. And he came to New York thinking he would, he would rectify that. Never happened, by the way, it never happened. Um, because no matter how good he was at what he did, he was never made. And that was uh, really stuck in his in his craw. That really was something that bothered him a great deal. So so he gets involved in the drug business um, very very simply. 
This guy Puma, it was transporting French connection drugs from Brooklyn. I'm sorry, from Knickerbocker Avenue, which for your listeners is in the northern part of the borough. And they drove it down south to the south part, southern part of the borough to a Gambino uh, contact. The Bananos had the northern part of, of, of the borough. Gambino's Colombo family, they were even the Lucchese family in the southern part of, of Brooklyn. So when the Gam- when the Bernanos needed to have drugs transported to their counterparts in the Gambino family, Luigi and Laporte and Puma were, were two of the guys that um, that they, they they leaned on, and they made these trips um, carrying significant amount of of, of heroin. Um, it was coming in, it was being distributed, it was like a, a pipeline. And um, and when they would get to uh, Nick to to the area, the Gambino area, they had a particular guy that they would meet, and he would he would take the drugs. Obviously, money was trans uh, was uh, transferred, and then they would be back on Nicaragua Avenue and doing all of the stuff that they do until another shipment of drugs came in, and it was a regular thing. And Luigi was very good at it. He you know he <laughs> because he was willing to do anything to protect to protect the load that he had in the car. And um, and he wanted to always show the Bananos that he was a reliable guy so that they would ultimately, you know, make them. They would they would they would induct them into the mafia. One day Puma um, meets him. And he thinks Luigi thinks that they're going to do a run from Knickerbocker to to Bensonhurst, which is the area of Brooklyn where the Gambinos were. And it turns out Puma says to him, "There's the pipeline shut off. There's no, no drugs. Well, we know why because the feds busted the French connection and um, and the New York City Police Department. So that was a, a real problem. Um, it was a real problem for Luigi because he was paid very well to be to be the shotgun on the car on the on these these distribution runs. And um, and as I mentioned to you guys before, to you before, Tom, is that." He was always in, in need of money. The guy was a gambler and he was a womanizer and he was a drinker. He was he was always looking for for money. The fact that this drug business dried up, which was a regular thing, you know, the hits were the when he had was contracted to do a hit. That was a, you know, a, a happenstance. Well, you know, it, it's not a regular thing where he comes in and they say, OK, today you're going to hit A, B, C, or D. Yeah. No. It's when they had they need it was only a need on a need basis, but the drug thing was regular. So he was pulling in, you know, a, a good deal of money. And when it stopped, it was a, a real problem for him. And, and that leads to one of the the events that kind of added to his frustration with uh, with the American mafia and added to his um, his his at some point his fear um that he was going to be you know killed but um and and this is what the event was he he was in dire need of money and someone and and one of the um he had he had a contact who had set up a uh, a robbery of um in the diamond district in new york city 47th street for those of you who don't know new york city 47th street between um fifth and sixth avenue I'm sorry, between 6th and 7th Avenue um, is there's there are jewelry stores and diamond dealers lining up both sides of the street. Now, that's a long two. It's a long block. And but both sides and the the stores were very small. So there were lots of them. Luigi had a contact. They were going to hit a particular place. And he and a a buddy of his who was not not a wise guy. He was he was just a friend of, of Luigi's, but a criminal. Um, they hit this diamond. They hit the diamond dealer and they they stole a million dollars worth of diamonds and um, and walked out of the store. And the plan was for Luigi to carry the diamonds in a bag from Sixth Avenue, which is sort of on the which is on the west side of Manhattan, all the way across to the east side of Manhattan. And he was going to meet someone on Second Avenue, I think. Um, and hand the diamonds off 
Luigi then went to Chicago. The diamond guy, the guy who took the diamonds, then brought them to a fence who was going to take care of getting rid of them, a guy by the name of Enzo Napoli. And, um, and Enzo Napoli, as it turns out, didn't like Luigi. But this was Luigi's deal. I mean, this was, and he's the guy who took the risk. And, it risks, and it, it's a great risk. They did it in the middle of the day. Now, if you ever were in Manhattan, particularly at that, in those days, at that time of the day, there were hundreds of people on the street and uh, thousands of people on the street in, in business and going in and out of these businesses and people in other apartment um, business uh, uh, buildings, big buildings, um, working. And, um, and, and it, it was just a lot of people around. But they were able to pull this thing off walk all the way across or across town, hand the diamonds off. His buddy, Luigi's buddy, took off to wherever he went. Luigi, it was the idea was for him to go to Chicago and wait until the diamonds were fenced, wait until it, things calmed down, and then he was going to be brought back and get his piece of the of the loot. So, I mean, a piece of a million dollars is is pretty good. He was, he was really set for... Uh, he thought that this would would really set him up. And what so, what year is it? We're talking about um, in the mid seventies, early to mid seventies, nineteen seventy. So that's a part of a million in the seventies. Million 50 dollars years later now, yeah. So it's yeah, okay. yep. So um, so he does things go well, and he hops on a plane, goes to Chicago, and he checks into a hotel in Chicago, gets a room. And um, and he now has to wait. There's really nothing to do except wait till he gets a call from Brooklyn. It's OK to come back. <laughs> so while he's in the lobby one day or at the bar, he meets this woman. And she strikes up a conversation with him and, and she asks him, he's staying at the hotel. And he says, yeah. And she asks him what room. And he tells her and she says, well, you know, that's a small room. I'm staying with my daughter. We have a suite in the in, in the upper part of the hotel and maybe you want to meet my daughter you know she was trying to set this guy up although he never told her that he was married and had a couple of kids because that's the way he was so she says why don't you uh why don't you come up look at the suite and then you should move in move into our move in with us we have an extra bedroom it's a nice big beautiful suite he goes okay and he does he just he, he moves all of his stuff out doesn't tell the desk or anything but he just moves and he goes up there I think the day, the next day, um, at night, a two or three guys from Brooklyn come into the hotel, and they go to the desk, and they and they ask this young woman who's behind the desk, "What is what's Luigi Ronces Folly's room number?" And she tells them, and they say, um, "They say, well, we want to, you don't want to go get into the room. We want to see him." She says, "Well, you know, I can't do that. I can let you in. We'll go, I'll go up with you." She goes upstairs, up to the wherever the floor was, and um, they, they opens up the door for them. They walk in, and they open up with, with guns. They blast the entire, they shoot the bed, they shoot everything, they shoot up, because they thought he was sleeping. It was late at night. Well, he had moved to the other place. They would add to hit him. They would add to kill him. And it was now Anzonopoli who set this whole thing up to kill him. <laughs> when he found this out, You broke up, Mike. All right, for everybody watching, hold on, I'll text Mike. What are you talking to me for? I was the one who okay. was. Sorry, the internet you just cut out for a second. We're back. Oh, okay. He, he, they, Chicago police came and wanted to know where, uh, you know, want to know everything about him. And he said, I don't know why you're asking me. I was the target of this whole thing. So he said, I had to spend the whole day in a police station. Someone tried to kill me, and I got stuck in a police station in Chicago for the entire day. That was his, his big problem. But he was burning, Tom. He was burning. And by the time he got back to Brooklyn, he he wanted to kill Enzo Napoli, who was a made guy. And um, and instead, they set up this, this meeting where they were going to kind of quash everything and divide up the money, divide up the diamonds at a, at a restaurant in Manhattan early in the day before it opened up. And he goes he goes to the restaurant and he's with his buddy who did the robbery with him. And and the Bonanno people are there. Gambino people are there. And there's a guy there who's acting as sort of like the, the mediator. And Enzo Napoli is there. And Napoli starts dividing the diamonds up. 
And Luigi gets nothing, no diamonds. He, they told him that we'll give you $30,000. He was out of his mind, crazy, $30,000. You tried to kill me? It's a million dollars worth of diamonds, and this is what you're going to give me, 30000 So he says he's watching, and there's one big diamond left. Before they told him that he, they were getting a 30, he thought that that diamond was his. He says, but that po- at that point, somebody came into the restaurant and everybody looked up and he, and the person sat down and it was um, Paul Castellano, who was the boss of the Gambino family. And what did Napoli do? He took the big diamond, handed it to Castellano. This is yours, Don Castellano. Castellano looked at it, put it in his pocket and took off. Now Luigi is out of his mind. What the fuck are they giving this guy money? This guy a diamond for? He had nothing to do with this. He was he was nuts, but his bosses were there, and they told him essentially, Luigi, keep your mouth shut, and take the thirty, and, and be happy about it. So he that was a slap in the face then, and and it was it was one that he never forgot, never forgot because he was treated like like as he used to say, he was treated like merda, which is shit in Italian, and and that's. That was that was kind of strike one, maybe one and a half in terms of him getting a sense as to what these guys were were like. So um, so that was he. he, But he needed that money, obviously, because of no drugs. Then a miracle happens. Again, he's on Knickerbocker Avenue. He gets called by Puma. Come down and meet me at the club. And Puma says to him, essentially, says, you know, Ever hear of that pipeline that brings oil to the United States? He says, we got one of those now. And um, and the drugs are going to start flowing again. But what this was now was what ultimately became known as the pizza connection. And the reason it was called that is that the Bananos set up this distribution network from Sicily to the United States. And the drugs were going to be packed in um in in pizza supply boxes so a box of mozzarella cheese well there would be heroin in it a box of olive oil heroin in it a box of uh tomato sauce heroin in it and what what galante and banano did is they were setting up pizza joints in places on the east coast as well as into as far west as chicago so that when the when all of the stuff came in, there were places for for all of the supplies to go, as opposed to just one or two places in Brooklyn. And then they would send their people out to the location, pick up the drugs, drive it back to New York, and then the distribution was back back on on track. The distribution of this thing. Now, Tom, we're talking about even more heroin than with the French connection, and Luigi is told about this and he says he's he says good you know i money is is good now he told me that it was in reality he thought that it was very a very bad thing to be involved in the drug business he said it was no honorable no honor in selling the drugs because he knew where it was going to go you know kids would get killed and would die from it and people would die and he he really I believe that he felt that way, but, you know, it wasn't strong enough for him to say, fuck you, I'm not doing it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. so he because he, he needed the money. Um, so they told him, so he says, so what, what what do you want me to do? So Puma tells him, here's what you're going to do. We need we're in Brooklyn, in New York. We have to get pounds of this heroin to Los Angeles. And we're going to you're going to bring it from Brooklyn to LA and they tell him, we'll tell you what you need to do. So the first thing they do is they tell him to go buy a suit, jacket and pants, three sizes too big for him. Now I I can't even imagine now what that size of that suit was because he was not a slim person. If you have the book, you have the book, you saw his picture in the book. He's a bowling ball. Yeah. So they told him to, to buy this suit. Now, here's what they did. So he would then report to Knickerbocker Avenue when all of the drugs were ready to go. They were packaged and everything. And they handed it to him. And they basically, he stuffed this the stuffed every pocket that he could with the stuff. And he was also strapped onto him, you know, uh, taped onto him. 
underneath the shirt, etc. And then he put the big suit on and he couldn't tell. He looks like a fat guy. The second part was when he got to the airport, he was not to get on the plane when they make a first call or a second call or even a third call. He had to wait until the very last call for the very last person to be on. And then he was told to essentially run up to the gate with his ticket just as they were closing the door so he could get on a plane and there would be no questions asked. Now, we're talking about in the 70s. So there was no obviously no 9-11. There were no there were no uh, metal detectors. There was there was nothing. You just get on the plane. Right. Yeah. So they so that was part two. Part three was when you get on the plane and you start out, you said you do not fall asleep. You cannot fall asleep under any circumstance. You have to stay awake from New York to, to California because they were afraid that if someone tried to wake him up to get off, they would feel, you know, feel what he had. And, and that would be the end of it. So we had to sit for whatever it is, six hours, seven hours on that plane in his suit jacket, stuffed with all of these pounds of heroin. Jesus. When he got to L.A., now he got through, I think it was either JFK, probably JFK to, to go, got into JFK in New York onto the plane, no problem. He now had to get off the plane and get through LAX to get, you know, in Los Angeles. He had to get out of the airport and meet whoever he had to meet, and then they would drive into uh, into LA proper, and he distributed the heroin. And he did it. He did it successfully, and he did it more than one time. The first time, however, he got to LA, he met the person he was supposed to meet, and they drove to wherever this guy's location was. I don't remember exactly if it was his house or his social club or whatever. Distributes all of the stuff. And the guy says to him, the L.A. person says, you're not going to go back right away. He says, we got time to party. Well, that's all Luigi had to hear. He was he and it's all going to be on the L.A. guy. So he spent two, three days just partying, drinking. He didn't do drugs, but he did drink. Women, you know, that kind of stuff. He was so he and so he, he now had this new what he thought was going to be a very dangerous situation. He was loving it. He's loving it. So he he became buddies with the guy in L.A., with the drug dealer in L.A., because every time they he would come back, would come with a load of of drugs. The guy, you know, he spent two or three days partying with this guy. So that was that was his first um, his first foray into this trans continental drug dealing. So they then said to him, okay, now you got to go to Chicago. And it's a little different with Chicago. You're not going to go with the suit. We're not going to stuff. Because you don't have to worry about that. But what you're going to carry is a suitcase. And we're going to load the suitcase up with the heroin packets packages. And you'll get on the train. Nobody checks you. You know, of course, nobody checks in terms of of a train you get on, you pay, you turn your ticket in and that's it. Find your seat. But they did tell him one thing. When you get on the train, do not, do not put the suitcase in the overhead compartment hmm. because they were worried that if it was out of his hands, somebody else could get their hands on it. And that would be the end of it. And once again, do not, do not fall asleep between New York and Chicago. So he does. When he gets to Chicago, the plan was he was going to walk out of the Union Station carrying the suitcase. And there was supposed to be a guy who pre was pretending to be a cab driver. That he knew what Luigi looked like. He goes up to him, sir, do you need a car? Yeah, yeah, I need a car. He gets in. He says, OK, my car's right over here. Gets into the back seat. The driver gets into the front seat. He drives literally around the corner from the entrance to Union Station. And stops the car. Luigi gets out, leaves the suitcase in the car, goes back around the corner to Union Station, gets on the train back to New York. That's so again, he without any problems at all, without any problems. He never he did. And this guy was he said this guy was a little different than the guy in L.A. The first time I, I skipped one thing, the first time he went before he got out of the car, the guy wanted to check the suitcase to make sure it was heroin. And he opened it up 
and it was packaged not exactly the way that the guy thought it should be packaged. And he said to him, well, why did you package this this way? Why? I forgot what it was. It was the tape was wrong. I don't remember. And Luigi got pissed off. He said, no, me. I, I, I just do what I'm told to do. And the guy was angry at him. He got angry. He said, you know, that's not the deal. That was not the deal. But so Luigi basically said, take it up, you know, with the with the bosses oh, in New York. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was I, I it was yeah. really a strange thing for the guy to get pissed off about, about the way the heroin was packaged. So he goes back and and he said, so, but he had to do it several more times to Chicago. That was one of his regular his regular routes. And of course, the guy calmed down when he, uh, the next time and the time after that and, and, and things were OK. So that was two. There was a third route. And this one was a little different. This one was um, the opposite. He was going, he had to go pick up drugs. So once again, he gets a call from Puma. I want you to go to LaGuardia Airport. That's the other airport in New York. Tomorrow morning, buy a ticket for Miami. You get to Miami get in a cab and you go to a particular street corner on, on the beach. Collins Avenue is a big avenue street that's in Miami Beach. And um, they don't tell him why. They just tell him, you just go there. And um, so he does, blindly. He just wakes up, goes to LaGuardia, gets on the plane, drive, gets to Miami, and he gets to that location when he's supposed to be there. It's early in the morning. We took a really early flight. He said, next thing I see is this, this Porsche. And I recognize the Porsche. And then who gets out? Puma gets out of the Porsche. Puma was already there. The Porsche, he gives, so he pulls up. He says to Luigi, get in. Luigi gets into the front seat. And he hands him a shotgun and a pistol. The shotgun was much to Luigi's liking. It was called a Lupara. It was the kind of shotgun that they use in Sicily. So he was very, very familiar with it. And um, and he said, so he says to Puma, well, what, what are we doing? He said the trunk or the back of the car, I don't know how much of a trunk a Porsche could have, but the whole back of the car was filled with heroin, filled. Where are we going? We have to drive all of this up to Knickerbocker Avenue. So he gets in and they start out and they drive from Miami Beach all to all the way to Brooklyn. They never get stopped, Tom, never by any highway cops, by, you know, you got to drive through some small towns because they unless they took 95 all the way. I'm not sure exactly what they did, but he told me, he said, I couldn't believe it. No one ever stopped us. No one said a word. Now, think about what. You saw what Luigi looked like, and and I'm sure Puma looked the same way. To me, there's got to be some redneck cop down in you know in 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 the South who looks at these two guys and and says, oh, you know, I better check this out. Never happened. So, and this is key. This becomes key later on. So he gets to to, to Knickerbocker Avenue. Who's waiting for them? But. The head, the guy, the, the 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 banana who ran Knickerbocker Avenue and was running this whole drug operation, a guy by the name of Toto Catalano. And Catalano is waiting for him. And when they get out, when they get there, they drive up to where Catalano is. Catalano goes to the back of the car, takes out whatever kind of uh, 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 container this all of this this heroin was in, and takes it into his social club. Luigi gets paid and he goes home. They did that more than one time. And why does that become important? Because later on in life, when he turns and becomes uh, a witness, he testifies in front of Ronald Reagan's Commission on Organized Crime. And he testifies to the, the subject matter of the commission was mob drug trafficking. So he was a he was a perfect witness for this. And I'll tell you about that in a second, how he gets involved. Um, and he talks about how they, you know, this, what I just told you and how Catalano takes the drugs and, and that's it. Now Catalano becomes the, one of the lead defendants in the pizza connection trial 
that Rudy Giuliani and Louis Free, who later becomes the head of the FBI, were doing in New York. They saw and read about Luigi's testimony, and they realized, how did we miss this guy as a witness? He gives us Catalano. And in the back of the book, I include the indictment for the pizza connection. The second name on the on the indictment is Catalano. So he become Luigi becomes an important witness. He doesn't know it at that point, of course, but he knows that when he gets back with the drugs from Miami, it all went to Catalano and Catalano did whatever he did. He, he had done with it. So so that is what he that is. That became his his essentially his his main source of income. This, you know, the whole thing with the drugs. He was doing a hit here or there. And um, and in the midst of this, he gets a call from another a Gambino uh, a capo who had he had who had you he had used Luigi before for a hit. And he tells him that there is a there's a, a guy who's very important to the to the mafia who is looking for uh, for some somebody to do some work for him. Now, of course, Luigi knows exactly what that means. This guy's name is um, uh, Sindona. Look, and and Sindona, Michele Sindona. Sindona was an international criminal. But until he became known as an international criminal, he was known as a financier, an international financier who was essentially his his business was to uh, to take over banks in Italy. The Vatican Bank being one of them. He had fooled the Pope into giving him control of the Vatican Bank. And what he was doing was he was essentially raping these banks and putting the money into his own pocket, in addition to using the banks to launder drug money for, for the most part, the Gambino family. So, so Sindona um, comes to the United States. He was so successful in in with the banks in Italy, he comes to the United States and he takes over a bank that was headquartered on Long Island here in New York. It's called the Franklin National Bank. And he does the same thing. He basically drains the bank, puts it out of business, causes it to, to go bankrupt and collapse. And keep in mind now, whenever this happened, the people who had their money in these banks lost their money. And, and one of the individuals who recognized what Sindona was doing in Venice became Pope John Paul I. He was the Cardinal of Venice. And he knew what was going on. And he knew that when, when the, the bank in Venice that, that Sindona um, had, had co caused to collapse, a lot of the people who were parishioners up there lost their, lost their life savings, lost everything. And so... You know, you kind of we kind of project this, but I could see the cardinal at this point thinking, what why is the Vatican, why is Pope John Paul the sixth allowing this guy to do this? Doesn't he see what's going on? John Paul the Sixth dies. And who's elected Pope? But the Cardinal from Venice. And he becomes Pope John Paul the First. And now Sindona knows. Oh, man, this guy does not like me. This guy knows what's going on. And they knew that it was a matter of time before the Vatican thing, the Vatican pipeline was shut off. Mm. So they had to do him in. So Sindona and others were were behind killing Pope John Paul I. Um, and and they poisoned him. That's how he died in his sleep. They, he would. So so this is the guy now that comes to New York and does this with the Franklin National Bank. He gets caught. He gets he gets nailed in New York for the for the Franklin National Bank. The same time, he gets indicted in Italy for the collapse of all of these banks in Italy. So he's now a wanted criminal in Italy, but he's living in the United States. He's he's wanted and under indictment in the United States in the Southern District Federal Court, Southern District of New York, and the Italian authorities want him extradited to Italy so he can stand trial. The American people, the American authorities were going to, had agreed to do that, but Sindona put up a fight, so it had to be a, a, a hearing in New York. In the meantime, they indicted him in New York, so now he had 
problems in both places, New York as well as in in Italy. So how does a mafia person get out of this problem? <laughs> he decides to kill the people who are in charge of the investigation in New York and the, and the investigation in Italy. That was his way out. It's the only way he knew. So in Italy, the prosecutor slash judge, and in New York, it was a, an assistant U.S. attorney um, who was in charge of the case, both the extradition hearing as well as the Franklin National Bank case. And this is what Sindona proposes to Luigi. Luigi, of course, is always looking for money, right? He goes and meets Sindona. Sindona tells him 100000 for the hit in New York and 100000 for the hit in, in Italy. In New York, I want you to kill the prosecutor. And then I don't want you to just leave him on the street. I want you to stuff his pockets with drugs so that it looks like it's a drug hit. And then you go to, you go to Italy and you kill the, the judge in Italy. So when he tells me this story, he says, Mike, I knew I could not do this. He says, I can, I'm finished if I kill a prosecutor in New York. Um, so he tells Sindona, no, I'm not doing this. Well, that was kind of the last straw, because at this point, Luigi feels that um, I'm a dead man. This guy is a major criminal, major figure in the mafia. I don't help him. I agree. I tell him I, dis I disagree with him. I don't, I don't, he knows he can't hire me. He knows that it's just a matter of time before he is killed. But that doesn't stop him from doing crimes because he does a robbery in Queens. Um, he gets word that there's a courier every week at a particular time on a particular day is at this particular spot You'll see him coming out of a, an office building with a with a bag, and that usually has thirty thousand dollars in it, forty thousand dollars. He says, "Okay." Gets two other guys who live in Queens. They jump in this one of this guy's car. They wait and sit, and they see the courier. Luigi says to me, "I see him. I see the courier." He says, "But Mike, there's no man. There's a woman. I cannot rob a woman. I, I it's a it's something that the, we don't do in Sicily." But he was so hard up for money that he did it. And when he got the bag into the car and opened it up, there was like $3,000 in the bag. They drove to this other, the guy that owned the car, drove to his house to split the money up. He lived not that far from the, the robbery site. And when they start to split the money up, police cars all around. Someone must have seen it. They did it in broad daylight on the street, the busy street in Queens. And they arrest him. And they bring him to uh, to, to court. $500 bail is set, which is, which is you know, was low. But for me, you know, an armed robbery, that's, that's, that's very low. But that's what it was. Luigi can't make the bail. That's how, how hard up he was for money. So this is, and I just, I, when I, when he told me this, I kind of looked at him like, are you crazy? Yeah. What he did was he called Sindona and he says to Sindona, uh, you got to get me out, bail me out. I cannot get it. I can't be in a courtroom. I, I, you know, I, it's a, it's a, my family can't know that I robbed a woman. Nobody can know. They can't know in Sicily. And he hints to Sindona that I've got stuff on you. I get me out of jail. And the hint is, you won't see me again. Sindona tells him, basically, no. So Luigi has no way to turn, turns to his brother-in-law. Thank God his brother-in-law, for his purposes, had money, and his brother-in-law bails him out. So he goes back home, and the first, place, first person he calls is Sindona again. And he says to him, listen, you give me $30,000 and I'll get out of the country. I disappear. You never have to hear from me again. Don't worry. I will say nothing. Sindona tells him, no. Luigi says, Mike, I knew that if I went into jail, if I got convicted, and he says, and I'm going to get convicted because, again, we did this in broad daylight. He says, I'm a dead man. Yeah, they'll kill I'm me. a dead man. They're going to kill me. Sindona's going to kill me. So... What he does is um, he walks into the ninth precinct in Manhattan, police precinct, and he goes up to the desk officer and says to him, I want to talk to the FBI. 
and um, they get the FBI down, and he turns. He becomes an informant at that point. Now, so I told you, so that so that was Sindona was also was one of the things that, in addition to the Chicago situation, um, so he's getting the idea that you know oh there's one other situation where I don't think we talked about in terms of of why he wanted out and he told me that at some point he started to think about getting out he had he he wanted to start a new business at one point in his in his career and he was going to be a loan shark but he didn't have money so he talked to someone and someone told him that there's a Gambino guy who was a businessman he owns a place called the Isis Queen of America they distributed lemon ice and cherry ice and stuff to restaurants and things of that nature. And he tells him he'll he'll lend you the money. And I put the good word in for you. There's no vig. It's not. You just you. He's going to give you five thousand. You pay him back five thousand. He says okay. He goes and talks to the guy, and the guy treats him like shit. Basically, he said I was interrogated. He says I came here and I was vouched for. Why are you asking me all these questions? And and the guy was just that way. And he but he ultimately gave him the five thousand and he but he gave him a time limit as to when he wanted it back. Luigi said to me, I and there's no problem because I had two guys who were going to borrow the the, the five thousand and they would get it back to me within a couple of days. So I was going to meet the deadline. Well, the day of the deadline, those two guys still hadn't come back with the with the money that Luigi lent to them. And he asked around, Nickabacker Avenue, where's, you know, whatever, so-and-so and so-and-so. They, they said, well, they, they took off. They're gone. They left New York. Of course, they left Luigi now holding the bag. So he goes back to see the ISIS, <laughs> ISIS Queen of America guy. And he tells him, I need more time. I can't get it for you. The guy says, you're not getting more time. If you're not, this is on a Friday. That was when the day, the day was a Friday that he had to get this back. He says, if you're not here tonight with that money, then I'm going to kill you. Luigi was at this point told me he was burning. He was burning. He says, I was vouched for. You know, I'm good for it. He says, I thank you for, for Lenny, but you know, you can't treat me. Don't treat me like that. He said, basically tough. That's the deal. So Luigi said, I don't know what to do. Because I leave, I get in my car. I asked them, Did, do you have any way of getting this money? He goes, no. So um, he drove back to Knickerbocker Avenue, burning all the way. And he made up. He made a plan for himself. He goes, drives back to the ISIS Queen location. It's now 9 o'clock at night. It's dark. He said, I knew everybody left, and the only person there would be the owner. He's always working in his office. Um, and in his mind, he knew the way out. He walked in, described it for me. The guy looked up from his desk, and he basically, in his mind, the last thing you're ever going to see, motherfucker, is my, my face. And he shot him, killed him. It's the only time in the United, in the United States... He did it once in Italy, only time in the United States that he did a killing for, him, for himself. All the rest of the times, he did it for someone else. So he thought, okay, I'm done. Except that he has to go to the guy's wake. And at the wake, he meets the dead guy's brother. Dead guy's brother is a made guy in the Gambino family as well. And he approaches Luigi and Luigi says to him, sorry about your brother. I'm sorry. You know, my condolences. He says to him, come here. He says, you borrowed money from my brother. He said, well, I'm taking over now. You got to pay me the money. He said, you believe this at the guys at the wake? He's asking me for the 5000 that that his brother he says, I thought this was, you know, all squashed because, because I killed the guy. I said, so what would you do? He says, well, I... I I got the money. I don't know how he got it. He didn't tell me that, but I, I got the money and I and I paid him off. So so he had these these instances where he thought that because he was you know a, an upstanding guy and up and and he was loyal to the to the family that that they wouldn't treat him this way, but they did, they did. So when he walks in and tells so he tells the the FBI all about the attempted murder of the 
or the plan to kill the prosecutor in New York, which is what they were interested in, they had what they needed. So now they were stuck with Luigi Ronce's folly. What are they going to do with this guy? So they checked his, they knew that he had an open case in Brooklyn, an open murder, because he had killed the guy at the New Corner restaurant who had raped his, his mm -hmm. niece. And they brought him to the, to the police. And the New York City Police Department got what they needed from him. And now they were stuck with him. So what are they going to do with him? Well, we'll give him to the DA's office. <laughs> and that's what they did. They walked in one day with this guy in tow. And I got called into my boss's office. And my boss tells me that they have this informant. And his name is Roncesvalli. He says, you're Italian. He's Italian. He's yours. And that's how the marriage was made between me and and and, and Luigi. And, um, and it was, for me, I was trying homicide cases, but I had not had a case like this. And um, I had the New Corners case, which was easy. You know, I told him to tell me the whole story, which he did. And then he opens up and tells me, I said, you got to tell me everything. And he tells me about the, the newer cop whose brother-in-law gets killed because he put his wife up as a, in a bet. Tells me, he tells me as many as, as I needed to know about he goes in into the Brooklyn House of Detention, which is where I kept him. And he learned other things about other cases and would come into the office and and tell me about them. So he became a, um, a very important witness for me. And then when I was done, I got transferred to another. I got promoted and transferred. He wound up taking a plea to the murder. He got um, to the New Corners murder. I think he got five years as opposed to 25 to life. And he went into and they, and the deal was that he was going to do his time in a federal prison, which is supposed to be better. And he gets sent to Sandstone, Minnesota, Minnesota. And it was like he was transported to the moon. I mean, this is a guy who's in, in it's cosmopolitan. He's in New York. He's in Rome. He's in Milan. He's in all. And now he's in the middle of Sandstone, Minnesota. He's in jail and he talks to his lawyer almost every day. And one call, his lawyer tells him that about Ronald Reagan's commission on organized crime and that one of the investigative arms or one of the investigative avenues, I should say, is about drug trafficking, mob drug trafficking. Now, up to this point, Tom, he had never told me anything about about his the extent of his drug trafficking. Talked a little bit about going from Knickerbocker Avenue to you know, to um, to to Bensonhurst. But the whole pizza connection stuff, that was all things we learned after. Mm. So um, he calls up a detective who I turned him on to after I was done with him and says to him, I can help with that commission. And they brought him in from Minnesota. That was what he was doing. I knew and I say in the book that I knew he wasn't telling me everything when he told me when he talked to me. And this is what he was holding. He was holding this this Trump card and um, and he and he played it and it got him out of jail. It got him into witness protection. He wound up testifying in front of Congress and then he wound up testifying in uh, for Rudy Giuliani and free at the at the pizza connection trial. And after it was all over, he was a free man in witness protection. Now, he does, makes a little mistake. He tries to because, again, he was he was in need of money and he wanted to try to squeeze money out of the wise guys by saying, you know what, I'll change my testimony until someone whispered in his ear and told him, you change your testimony, you're going back to jail. So he, he recants his recantation and he, he is set, you know, set free. They go to trial. He testifies and all of the pizza connection defendants get convicted. Now he's left on his own in places in Iowa, in Minnesota, in Arizona, in, you know, in Alabama, every because they had to move him a lot because there were a lot of people looking and he was testifying. He was supposed to testify again. And were people going to kill him? There were a lot of people looking to kill him. He was the key, I told you, because of his transportation of the drugs. And um, and he couldn't take it. He couldn't take it. He couldn't he couldn't. He hated the, the life. He hated the food. He hated the way he was living. And one day I learned as part of my research for the book that he wound up killing himself. Um, I thought all along that he had died in jail, hmm. that he had gone back. Somehow he had fallen off the, you know, off the, the wagon and gone back to jail, but he didn't.
he killed himself as a uh, as a protected witness and um but it was a a guy that i gotta tell you man I, i'll never forget ron Volley. and obviously i didn't because 20 years later we wrote this book we're doing so, we're doing the fourth episode on him clearly fourth he episode. Has, so clearly he has done yeah 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 you know he he uh, Carmine Galante, by the way, gets killed. You know, he gets assassinated by his own people because I told you before how stingy they were. They weren't going to share the money. Well, he wasn't even sharing with his own family. He was giving them a pittance and he was keeping millions himself. And then the and listen to who did this. The Zips got together and they got two guys and they did him in. He they were his bodyguards. They set the whole thing up. Hired guys. The bodyguards in the middle of the summer, Tom, middle of the summer, hot summer, July day, <laughs> they pick up uh, Galante to bring him to a restaurant for uh, for lunch with some of his friends. And they're dressed in leather coats, leather jackets, <laughs> who dresses in the middle of the summer, leather jacket. They knew what was coming. And when, when the assassins came into the backyard, which is where they were eating, they opened up and they hid behind, you know, underneath tables and stuff. And they were afraid of getting hit with shrapnel. That's why they had the had it on. So, so anyway, that is the um, that that brings me to the to the end of the saga of Luigi Roncesvalli. But um, it's um, it's it, it was a an experience that I will obviously never forget. And um, and now it's for posterity and, and homicide is my business. So there's a lot more that I. A lot more that, you know, obviously I, I give every detail, but I really encourage people who are interested in this, this kind of, uh, this, this subject to get the book. I've, there's some, there's, there's some mafia history. You've, you've read it. And I've um, read it and I've, <clears throat> I've highly, highly recommended it. It's one of the few books that I've actually sent to people off air, not just kissing ass on air, but one of the few books I've sent. And it's not a long book and it's, uh, it's kind of like Goodfellas, the book, but it's, it's real and it was written by Mike and you can hear him talking about it on this show. And, uh, we got to, I know we got to wrap this one up rather abruptly. Could real quick, could you say the name of the new book coming out? And then I'll the new book is called fallen angel, a true crime fantasy. And a, just a brief, just a brief description. It's, um, all of the crimes that are depicted in the book are real cases. They're all my cases. And the premise is that a prosecutor is recruited to by the Vatican and by the Department of Justice to combat a evil force that has kind of settled into Brooklyn. And it turns out the evil force is Satan. And so he has been doing this in other parts of the world and other parts of the country, and he's gotten away with it, instigating these horrific crimes because he undermined the arrests, undermined the cases, the investigations of in these other parts. So they needed someone strong who could withstand this instigation of or the undermining of his evidence and um and the prosecutor is his name is michael gioca and he is the chief of the rackets division in the brooklyn district attorney's office so there's a it's obviously an autobiographical yeah. aspect to it and all the crimes that i that are written in there uh written about in there are all true crimes and that's why it's a true crime fantasy which is the Obviously, the story around the crimes is fantasy. So, so far, I have to say, um, I, the people who have read it have have really have loved it. They said that it's, they can't wait for number two. And I have gotten I'm, I'm almost finished with book two of Fallen Angels. So, yeah. so we'll be talking uh, a lot, hopefully, about uh, about that book and the three crime and the four crimes that are depicted in in Fallen Angel. We can we'll we'll talk about there things we you and I have. I've never talked about okay. and uh, okay. so it's a whole new set of of criminal figures and crimes etc so so that's Beautiful. it so thank you very much for the for the plug and um and it, they're all available fallen angel is not a it's not an audio book yet but it's a kindle it's a uh it's a an ebook as well as a um as well as a, a pr in print and hopefully we're going to do the ebook soon and i will i think i'm going to be the the uh, narrator. So I'm hoping that we do it to get it out. Cause I know that you guys like to have, like to have uh, that ebook. Yeah. Right. Audio book. Yeah. I'm sorry. Audio book, not yeah. ebook. Yeah. yeah. So absolutely makes it. All right. So that's it, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. And, um, I wait for the next time. Hell yeah. And Mike, send, send me a reminder. I got a million things I got to do today. Send me a reminder text so that 
you don't fall off into the ether so that I get you in and I schedule you today because if I no don't, problem. you and I both know I'm going to forget. So just send me a reminder text. Okay. Right, thank brother. you, Tom. Thank you so much. Guys, go check out, go in the description, check out the books, check out the writings, and uh, yeah, go grab it. Till next time, Mike. Thank you so much, Take care, everybody. Peace.